almost $60 billion. And you've been listening to the news on RTHK. And welcome to another Saturday, which means it's time for The Week on 3. I'm Christy Lai. Hope you're having a great day so far. I don't know about you, but I love theme parks. And I haven't been to one in years. Since it's the weekend, why not spend your day at the most magical place on Earth? Disneyland. Yes, yes, I know, it's hot outside under the sun. And we often talk about enjoying indoor activities with air conditioning. But for a change, why don't we head outside? After all, it's Disneyland we're talking about. And there's so much new stuff going on. And maybe there are a couple of new attractions or special events that might help you cool down just a bit. Up next, Disney fan and writer Charlotte Ip has compiled a special guide to Disneyland, where she told James Ross her favorite rides and some fun facts about Hong Kong's very own Disneyland, which actually is a lot different to other parks around the globe. Well, I think one of the most obvious part is the uh, Main Street, the USA one. I think it's a direct replica of it. So if you're in there, you might feel like you're in like California Disneyland without being there. So I think that's quite a good deal, especially in quarantine. Like in with a lot of travel restrictions, you can just get there and feel like you're in America in some way. And that's literally as you, as you go through the, the gates, you go straight into uh, uh, Main Street, right? Yeah, it's kind of very welcoming. It's like very mm. open street with all the different shops, souvenirs and bakeries around it. Mm. Mm. Yeah, and that's, that's the entree into to Disneyland. And then what are the big attractions that we see around the world and the big ones that we've got in, uh, in Hong Kong? Well, I think one of those, I think maybe fewer people know that the Many Adventures of Winnie the Pooh is actually also present in the Paris Disneyland. I'm not sure, but I think that the some of the like earlier parade floats, they're also kind of reusing the Tokyo ones, although I'm not sure whether it's right now, hmm. but they're kind of the same. And before the castle was renewed into the Sleeping Beauty castle right now, it used to be also a replica from some other Disneyland's, but now yeah, it stands got, on its own right now. Yeah, I think they've got some some places got Cinderella's Castle, haven't they? And the, and the Sleeping yeah, Beauty yeah, Castle. Yeah, yeah, right now they change it. So it's kind of already a unique attraction in Hong Kong. I think Hong Kong is, like Hong Kong Disneyland is growing into its own self. It's finding its own identity, mm. even though it's belonging to like a very international brand. And of course, you've got these these big lands around uh, the park, like um, Fantasyland and Adventureland. These kind of of areas that are kind of unique um, sets of attractions themselves, right? Yeah, I think most of all, like the carousel. I think there is. I think uh, I don't remember exactly which one, but it's like a signature attraction in a lot of Disneyland's, but. I think a lot of those attractions, especially the photo spots like the fairy tale forest, it's quite unique in Hong Kong. Mm. So, what is a fairy tale forest? Tell us what. Tell us about that. Well, it's actually a place where 
it takes you through like a maze that is lined with a lot of hedges, and then visitors can go navigate the maze, and they can find a lot of different nice photo spots from like different, you know, enlarged life-size plants to even seeing Tinkerbell herself right. in action if you're kind of lucky enough to get there in the right time. And there are also some a part where there are a lot of Princess Castle miniature size, so you can click the buttons and then some magic will happen. Oh, okay, sounds fun. Yeah, I think it's quite a good spot if you're going with family or just you just want like nice Instagram photos. It will be a great spot to go and also chill if you're after some very thrilling rides. As the thrilling rides are right next to that attraction, to be honest. Now, yesterday we were talking about some of the thrilling rides actually at uh, Waterworld. Tell us about the thrilling rides uh, at Disneyland. What 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 are they like? What are you have some favorite thrill rides? Yeah, I do because I'm not very big in thrill rides, so I guess my tolerance in rides and the adrenaline rush is a little bit less than a normal person, I think. But if it's because Disneyland focuses on more like family-friendly rides, I yeah. would say, compared to Ocean Park. Mm -hmm. So if you'd like to have some fun, not be, you know, overly exerting yourself, then I think that the Grizzly Grouch Ride is very good. The Grizzly Grouch Ride? Yeah. Okay. What sort of thing is that? Tell us about that. Yeah, it's also a unique attraction in Hong Kong where there is like a it revolves around like a bear family and then there is like a cave where the roller coaster will take place in and then the carts will take you through like a, a lot of twists and turns where So it's like bear country, is it kind of? Yeah, yeah, where they're in it's like a cave inhabited by a bear family. Right. And then there will be gold inside and you'll be taken through a ride to, you know, dig gold, hopefully. But then the bears might be up to a little bit of mischief. So <laughs> there are a lot of twists and turns involved. I think it's also the first ride that the whole cart backwards. Usually you're going forward in a very fast manner, but also you're going back this So time. suddenly you, you speed backwards. Yeah. Okay. Yep. And then I think one of the most thrilling rides there is the one in Toy Story Land, the one where there is like a U-shape Right. Hard, and then you sit there and you just rush down the U-shape um, up and down. So backwards and forwards kind of thing. Yeah, Okay. exactly. Mm, 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 that mm. one was a little bit more on the rushing adrenaline rush side. So I would say if you like that, certainly go for that. Mm. But if you're just looking to have some fun, then the Grizzly Grouch ride is probably more suitable for you. Charlotte Ip, writer and Disney lover on The Morning Brew. Speaking about going outdoors, our next guest is the ultimate outdoor lover, who has been hiking up mountains around the globe since the age of six. That's next level stuff. On Monday's 123 show, Noreen Mir spoke to Bob Zhang, the youngest Hong Konger to ever summit Mount Everest. Bob was 18 when he reached the top, and has since been sharing his experience with everyone. He told Noreen Mir his training regimen, and also how his dad semi-forced him up on a hike to Japan's Mount Fuji at the age of six, which opened up his love for mountaineering. 
Well, I started like hiking abroad when I was six. Um, my dad took me to Japan to climb Mount Fuji then. And, when you were um, six? When I was six, Whoa. yes. And um, well, I'm like, I, I didn't know much about mountaineering at the time. So like, I just thought it would be another like mountain, like in Hong Kong. Like, so I, I didn't know what to expect. So I, I went there and um, by the end of it, I was nearly dead. And um, yeah, I just remember it being very tough and um, yeah, I remember just crying all the way down from the top because um, we started at around eight in the morning. And by the time we got to the top, it, it was around like six in the evening. And it took us another like five to six hours to get back to the like trail start, which is at like 2200 meters. So like um, it, it, the entire hike took around 17, 18 hours. And so for a six, six year old boy, it's like crazy. But you know, I remember just crying down and asking my dad, what, what, like when it's going to be over. And he just told me continuously, like, it's going to be over soon. It's going to be over soon. You're, you're going to get there. But I, I, I just kept crying. And you know, I remember it not being a fun experience, but, but once it was over, like I, I sort of I don't know, I sort of grew into it uh, because like for the next couple of years, um, he continued to take me to various places around the world to climb. So, um, yeah, and as you know, as I hiked more and, you know, I gained more experience, I began to you know, grow into it and, and, and sort of love mountaineering. So, yeah. yeah. And uh, parents all around the world were like, look at you now. So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> thank well, good for the push. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> No, j jokes apart. Yes, I can imagine. I mean, as a six-year-old, yeah, yeah. uh, just feeling sort of tired and not yeah. really enjoy. So, did you did you like hiking then overall? Um, but being pushed aside, did you enjoy the the walking and the hiking? Well, at the time, I only enjoyed the part where I got to stop. <laughs> I took the picture and I just like, I just said, you know, I want to go home. I want to go home. But you know, for the la uh, for the next couple of years, because you know, I continue to go abroad to to hike. Um, I guess those years you know made me who i am today so like it, it i i started to begin you know liking mountaineering i began you know alpine climbing you know I'm, i began going to japan to sort of learn how to hike when in under like i know snowy conditions and you know blizzard conditions and you know those those are quite exciting i think those experience so like uh i think by like 2014 i was pretty into mountaineering yeah. yeah how does hiking and mountaineering overseas compare to in hong kong well the scale is much bigger so like in hong kong maybe you, you, for instance you want to get to the top of taimoshan you may I you was may thinking about taimoshan yeah, yeah. <laughs> it may take you around like two, two, two hours two and a half but uh, for like mount fuji it took us you know 16 hours for for the first time i i've been there so um yeah i remember that, like i walked like two hours from the fifth station to the sixth station but it still looked the same you know the sun is still so far away i can't imagine you know how long it would take to you know walk to the top but we got there in the end but you know again i was i was quite dead by the time i got to the top what sorts of skills and mindset do, do you need i, I say mindset mm. because i hear a lot of the times a lot of it comes from the of course skills and and physical yeah, sure, strength yeah. is is yeah, yeah. a paramount you have to have that yeah. but in terms of mindset what makes a good mountaineer well um i guess you really need to love it like your passion for it is is quite important because it without passion you're not you know you're not into it and you're not really you know you don't have really have that n never give up that that sense of like uh belief i guess but like yeah yeah you really need to love it in order to enjoy it because 
quite frankly, you're just walking for eight hours to a camp and, and the next day you, you're doing the same thing again. So if you don't like it, it's going to be like pain for the entire trip. And I guess it's the same for Mount Everest. Like uh, I remember, you know, for this mountain specifically, we climbed three 6,000 meter peak before climbing Mount Everest. So like when when you're climbing so, so many mountains in such a short period of time, you really need to love it in order to enjoy the whole process or else, you know, it's just it's going to be like hell for, for those times, you know, you're not going to enjoy it at all. Absolutely. Yeah. What are you thinking about? I mean, let's go straight in, yeah, into yeah. Mount Enforest. Yeah. What are you thinking about when you are walking along or climbing even? Well, I'd like to daydream a lot, I guess. So, like, I, I don't really think of stuff related to mountaineering when I'm actually climbing. I, I you know, I usually think of random things. Like, I, don't know, I, I like Marvel a lot, so I think of like Iron Man, you know, Captain America, whatever. It's not really <laughs> and relevant. You're the character. <laughs> yeah, it's not really relevant. But like, I like to picture myself as a, like a superhero, like going up. You know, that that sort of gives me the motivation to to continue on, I guess. But um, yeah, uh, mountaineering is a bit of a I guess uh, lonely experience sometimes because sometimes it requires uh, quite a bit of teamwork, but most of the time, like 80% of the time, you're on your own. So you're basically uh, talking to yourself all the time, you know, sort of motivating yourself and, and just telling yourself to, to keep moving forward. Yeah, because sort of, yeah. it's not your average hike, I say time motion, it's not your average hike on <laughs> yeah. Dragon's Back where you're chatting along with, with yeah, someone. Exactly, it, yeah. You're really conserving your energy yeah, yeah. and focusing on that goal. How did your training go? How did you train for something like Mount Everest? Um, I've been, you know, mountaineering for almost 12 years now, maybe over 12 years now. Oh, so over a decade. Yeah, over sounds, a decade. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so every, every, for every peak, I usually, you know, I, I tend not to stop training, but uh, rather, you know, for every peak, I just intensify the training. So for for this Mount Everest, um, I remember um, coming up with the uh, with the idea around two years ago. So I sort of intensified my training t- around you know two years ago when I was still in uh, Lipochen, and um, back then, you know, I, I I remember just finishing my third or fourth fourth um, fourth seven summit peak, which is uh, Aconcagua. I just finished it and I thought, you know, wouldn't it be cool if I, you know, uh, climb Mount Everest next. So I, you know, started training and started pushing myself. And it mostly involves, you know, running, cycling and um, long distance hiking. That's sort of the main ways I, I train, you know, for, for running. I can just, you know, go after school. So after lessons, I'll just run to the top of, um, there's a country park in just below Monshan. So I'll just run up there. It's around 10 kilometers total. And um, for like Saturday and Sundays, I'll just, you know, uh, ride, like cycle somewhere far away and just, you know, it, it's uh, it's quite important to build up your endurance so that, you know, in, in even in such a high altitude, you, you, you constantly, you know, your body can adapt to that environment and you can just sort of recover in time. And that was Bob Zhang speaking to Noreen Mir on the 1 to 3 show. If you would like some new song recommendations, I might have just the one for you. On this week's Common Room, Alison Howe spoke to international pop music phenomenon Ellie Goulding, who just released her latest track, Easy Lover, which is also a collaboration with rapper Big Sean. The collaboration was a surprise to a lot of fans who didn't know even the two were acquainted. When asked about how working with Big Sean was like, here is what she said. He really is. He's he's super sweet and down to earth, and I, I can I can see why he's so well respected and like in the music industry and in his in his world because he's super smart. And his next album is going to be incredible. And we've known each other for a while because he sampled me on his album 
um, not so long ago. And we kind of stayed in touch and just said, I know maybe we'll do something together at some point. And I like to do things that, you know, that are a bit kind of unexpected. I like to collaborate with people that people wouldn't expect. That's my favorite thing to do. I like to shock people. So, uh, yeah, I don't know if people would have ever thought that we'd collaborate, but, but we have. So, and I think it's perfect. Um, yeah, it was awesome. Yeah. And also for him to appear in your video, really going in for the theme of being boxed. And I mean, you guys go through rock stars in that one. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that it was a, it was a fun video to shoot. We shot it in uh, Bulgaria and it, it, the idea is just that we're all stuck in this kind of glitch and we're all part of like a kind of video game. And I think that people are feeling like that a little bit in the world right now. So it's kind of good timing uh, with the, with that video idea, but uh, yeah, I love playing different characters. I, I, I love playing like the sort of androgynous pop star and I rock star. And then I love playing the teacher and, um, and all the other characters just, you know, made it so interesting and weird. And, um, yeah, I don't know, it just, I, I, I like that. It's not like a straight up kind of, you know, video that reflects the lyrics in the song. I just wanted it to be, you know, like, for example, I love the way the weekend has done, uh, yeah. you know, characters for his music. And this music is like, not, you know, the album is, it might not be what people expect from me um, in that it's, it's more of a, you know, it's such a different album from the last, from Brightest Blue. But I do love the fact that it's almost like it's this alter ego, which is always fun. Yeah. You mentioned The Weeknd. I mean, he's been trying to scratch that it acting itch for a long time and he's studied to do something that is proper acting involved with TV series come in. Is yeah. that something that you would also want to do? Actually, yes. Um, I've been doing some acting, uh, I, I suppose you call it like coaching or, um, I can't think of another word for it, but, um, I've been working with an acting coach for a couple of years and, um, and yeah, I think, uh, I think it could, it could go somewhere. Um, I would love to start with doing something small, uh, not, not like a movie, but I'd love to do, you know, a play or do, you know, work with a, with, with a female director that I love. Um, I'd love to take it very slowly with it, but yeah, I, I wanted to act when I was young and I ended up singing because I did have this voice that was always there. And I think the acting was maybe just me wanting to perform, but not really knowing how. And so the singing suddenly came together and it, and it made me understand what I was really meant to be doing. But generally I loved, I was a shy kid, but I loved to be on, on stage and performing. Love it. Let's go back to that Easy Lover video. You mentioned the different characters that you play. I love the teacher that you portrayed. <laughs> Tell us about that transformation. It looked like a lot of work too. It was such a lot of work. It, it was, it was to be honest, like, because it was, because it was wigs, but then you have to like braid your hair. And so we did some of the, we did some of the, the prep the night before, and then I just had to sleep, sleep on it basically. Um, oh, yeah. So you, so you, you prep the hair the night before and then you get up, we got up so early because, you know, video shoots are always really long days and there's not really much you can do about that. Um, they just, you know, they need so much time to get everything. Um, but it was in Bulgaria and it was in an old kind of school, but actually not, not an old school, but like a school that's still working, a work, working school, but it was, uh, it was very strange. Never seen anything like it. Um, and, um, and then, you know, the, the, I think the biggest thing is the makeup, like getting the makeup right. And, and then, but, 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 uh, but it's all worth it. You know, it, it, it's like a lot of time in the chair, like hair and makeup, but, um, but then, you know, you get this video and it's, it's pretty cool. 
Yeah, I love that whiskey flask and the and it's such a good accent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's fast forward to now. I mean, thinking about how brightest blue has been two years already. How does it feel? God, it feels so surreal because it's it's just this this past few years have gone quickly because obviously I had a son, and right before that I was performing. I, I was I was I just written I just released brightest blue and. I had to um, not. I had to not tour, and I didn't get to sort of really breathe life into that album. Um, so, so it's it's been strange, I think, for everyone. You know, it just feels like time's really sped up. And um, I loved that album, and it was strange because, yeah, I couldn't I couldn't really sort of go go out with it and go on tour and and meet fans and. Um, I always feel like kind of that's been my my thing, you know. Once I've done an album, um, I can really go out there and and um, and make it sort of come to life. But I didn't really get to do that with Brightest Blue, so it's quite sad. But we did end up doing like a two week tour of the UK, which I was really proud of because we it was powered by renewables and it was plastic free. So it just goes to show that you know that's possible. And then and then for the next album, we you know we'll be. Uh, making it from uh, sort of a, a type of plastic that's biodegradable, and then we nice. cycle tapes and vinyls. So yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, but, um, but I, yeah, I think I think now I'm starting to feel a bit more normal. You know, it took me like a good year to start to feel like myself again after having Arthur. Um, so um, I'm definitely now feeling like I'm ready to sort of go back out there and go back out on tour. I remember the Brightest Blue experience was the first virtual concert experience that we got to have, and it kind of set the trend for a lot of musicians to try to give that a go. Yeah. And talk about setting trends. You mentioned touring is it can be super wasteful, but yeah. if you have a conscious mind, it can be more sustainable. And I love the fact that you're putting that as a big headline for what you're doing. I think I think really it's not a luxury or an option anymore to be um, conscious of um, of uh, the planet and and what resources you're using and I think now it is something that we all have to be responsible for. Like these, you know, big corporations aren't going to do anything drastic anytime soon. So as frustrating as that is, we do have to take it into our own hands. And I know that I have a platform and. You know, people always say, people might say like, oh, we, you know, we don't need your opinion as a celebrity, but then, you know, crave, then ask for your opinion. So it's just like, people are constantly like, well, what do you think about this? You know, why haven't you spoken up about this? And then they're also like, oh, we don't need your opinion. So, but my, my theory is to just, is like, um, I'm just gonna, I mean, my plan is just to keep going no matter what people say. And, and I think, I think we all now have to take that responsibility. Um, you know, we just have to make small changes in our own lives and, you know, things like trying not to use single use plastic. That's one of the worst things in the world. I hate plastic so much. Um, eating less meat, eating less red meat is always good. Um, and, um, and then, you know, things like fashion as well. Fashion is one of the biggest polluters. Um, it's, it's crazy how many clothes are thrown away every year and these big piles of clothes. Um, so, you know, it's also conscious, good to be conscious of, of, uh, of, um, your fashion choices and could you reuse things? Could you upcycle? So yeah, there's all these little things you can do. Um, but I think, I think it makes us all feel better about our place on the planet. 
Singapore's international music sensation, Ellie Goulding, speaking to Alison Howe on The Common Room. And finally, to end today's week on three, I'll be leaving you again with another Steve James afternoon drive. And this time, he's taking you back to the 1950s. It has been wonderful being with you all, and my wonderful colleague Noreen Mir will be taking over starting from next week. Take care and catch you next time here on The Week on 3. I'm Christy Lai. Oh, the factories may be roaring with the boom a lack zoom a lack wee but there isn't any roar when the clock strikes four Everything stops for tea Now I know just why Franz Schubert oh, yes. Didn't finish his unfinished symphony What did you learn? He might have written more, but the clock struck four And everything stops for tea Tea break this afternoon, this day 1956 Ah, it was the 50s I was wondering if it was the 50s or the 60s We're going to 1956 Gene Vincent made his first appearance on national TV in the US. It was on the Perry Como Show. Vincent had released Woman Love the previous month, but it was the B-side to Woman Love that eventually made the top ten. It was called Bebopalula. The song had been purchased from a fellow hospital patient when Vincent was recovering from leg injuries. Uh, the demo of the song made it uh, to Capitol Records as part of an Elvis sound-alike contest, and a re-recorded version gave Vincent a huge hit. Well, she's the gal in the red, blue jeans She's the queen of all the teams She's the woman that I know She's the woman that loves me so say Be-bop-a-loo-la, she's my baby Be-bop-a-loo-la, I don't